0: If you would open your Bibles to Joel, that's actually right before a book named Amos, right after a book named Hosea. Um, I uh, was able to turn to it pretty easily, but only because I had a, a marker there. Um, so, if uh, and if you have a phone, that's even better, because you just go J-O-E-L. Um, so we're going to be... Uh, exp- exploring the book of joel hear now the word of the lord the word of the lord that came to joel the son of Pethuel. hear this you elders give ear all inhabitants of the land has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers tell your children of it let your children tell their children and their children to another generation what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust eat, ate. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake you drunkards, and weep and wail all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it has cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth and its fangs are the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament, like a virgin wearing a sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering that the drink offering was cut off. The drink grain offering, sorry. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up and the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of your field has perished. The vine dries up and the fig tree languishes. Pomegranate, palm, and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up. Gladness dries up from the children of, the, of man. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, help us to find hope in this passage that seems so hopeless. Help us to find you. It's In Christ. name we pray. Amen. This is in stark contrast to what we sing every Sunday afternoon when we close out our worship service. We sing, the trees of the field are going to Clap their hands while these trees are not clapping their hands. The trees of this field are dried up. And if a dried up tree is blown and attempts to clap its hands, what will happen? It will shatter. How is this a happy place to be? So when I was a kid, I knew I wanted to be a pastor. I didn't want to be like any of the pastors that I knew because I felt like they were so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good. And so I did a lot of different jobs because I wanted to figure out how to do different things, how to, how to do evangelism by serving others and how to reaching out to the community. So I have a, I have a friend who has cows. He's got a lot of cows. And this week he called me because he's struggling. He has a pack of dogs and a pack of coyotes, a couple packs of coyotes on his property. And, and he lost four calves in three days. And they were clearly killed by these dogs so what does he do well he he asked me if i could come out and and do run some guard duty so that he could have a, a moment break so i'm like sure and so i went out there and hung out and and it was dark and 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 there was a calf that that i'd seen whose mom was licking it and a really small calf whose mom's licking means one thing it's just been born so this tiny little calf taking its first steps, it's hours old, was sitting in the middle of the field. And mom's cow moms sometimes can be not the greatest of moms. She was wandering off in the dark. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'll just shine my light on that little calf. So I take my truck and I drive over the field and I park. And, and I'm, I'm about 50 yards from that calf. I got the light shining on him and he's scared. New to the world. Doesn't know what this big shiny Brady lady thing is. And I'm not there to hurt him. I'm there to help him. But he gets up and starts making noise. And and mom comes rushing over. And and then he starts tearing off. And so I'm like, ah, I don't want him to run towards the road because he's running right towards 34. So I whip around and I'm driving after him and trying to drive parallel and cut him off. And he's terrified. And I wasn't trying to hurt him. But there was something that was trying to hurt him. There was something that was trying to kill him in the woods that night. And so we, we, got, uh, we got a guy in the, in the area who likes to hunt coyotes at night. And, and, uh, and we got him out there. And, and he killed three Friday night, three coyotes. And the job's just begun. And so we're chasing cows and, and shooting at coyotes, and, and the cows are all terrified. My buddy who, who went out there later the night, the night that I went out there to help him, he, he said at 3 in the morning that it was chaos. There were coyotes everywhere, and they had separated out all, all the calves, and, and all the calves, there was about 20 of them pushed up against the fence, and the moms were nowhere to be seen. So he drove over there, took a couple shots at the coyotes, and and they ran off, and 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 then he he herded the cat the calves back to mom and dad, moms, dads, or they don't care. But do you ever feel like that? You ever feel like the Lord is just this big old pickup truck, and you don't understand what he is, but he keeps just chasing you down? The book of Joel chronicles a man, is a chronicle by a man named Joel. Um, Joel is in the midst of an emergency. We'll talk about this locust thing in a minute, but, but he has this horrible thing going on. He's got locusts and he's got enemies, he's got plagues and bad things. And so Joel has to deal with the plague, he has to talk to the people. Now the people were terribly divided just like they are now. The church in America is we are so divided we've spent so much time arguing about who to put water on and how much. And divided ourselves over that. Like I said, we can't be friends over this issue. But there's a lot more issues some Christians feel they're free to drink wine. Some feel that it's sin. So we divide ourselves. Whether or not to deal in justice or grace when we're looking at the sins of our neighbors. So we divide ourselves. The chaos that's dividing our churches was the same chaos that Amos was dealing with in darkness. And in what Amos, the book of Amos, which comes after Joel in, in the order of the Bible, the book of Amos, I would love to preach it to you, but it's incredibly depressing because the book of Amos is, is surrounded by this idea of this is the day of darkness, not light. Well, the theme of Joel is that the light is coming. So that's why we're going to deal with this book in the next couple of weeks, in the next couple of months. That we're going to deal with this book because the day of the Lord is on its way. The, the, we're in darkness. We are totally in darkness. And if you turn on the TV, if you walk around, talk to people, we are in darkness. There are people that are scared and hurting. And there's these huge issues that face this country. And, and the church has fallen silent because we're... We're spending so much time fighting one another. We can't unify and cry out to God together. And what Joel says in that dark place is, yes, we are in darkness. But the light of Christ is coming. And Yahweh is going to crash into this world. His spirit is preparing to move. We just need to do some things. And so what was this plague that faced Joel? We have no idea. What year was Joel? What year was Joel written? Well, your Bible, or maybe if you have notes, will tell you exactly what year. And so scholars believe that it it was written between 835 B.C. and 400 B.C. They're pretty sure that it was written in that time period. Okay? So 835, Right? To 400 so only you know 435 year span um and and some people believed that this was a problem some people said oh we don't have a date so we should kick it out of the canon." calvin wisely believed that god withheld the date because he also withheld the crisis we don't know exactly what was happening in And he withheld these things because it would be a book of universal teaching, a book that all of us could hold on to when we encountered both the locust, a natural disaster, and enemies who would attack us. Joel is quoted uh, by Luke and Paul. We're going to hit passages, and you're going to go, Ah, I remember that. That's what Paul said in Romans. That's what Luke said in Acts. But Joel is actually quoted about 20 times in various passages of Scripture. There's a lot of Joel that you're going to be familiar with. The author of Joel um, is Joel, the son of Pthul. Uh, we have no idea who these two men were. Uh, we don't know who Pthul was. There was some debate uh, about what, why a father is mentioned. Calvin is helpful here again. I know we have some house cleaning things to do. The reason why uh, Calvin believed the father is mentioned is because... Joel's father was a man of note. And that makes sense, right? I am Stephen Jordan, son of Michael Jordan. I really am. My dad's name is Michael Jordan. Um, and he's bald, so. But now you remember it, right? Now you know who I am. And and the fact that my dad is, is Michael Jordan, now you're gonna remember his name, aren't you? So are you are gonna see him. You're gonna, hey Mike, how you doing? How do you know my name? Because you're The father of Stephen Jordan, you're Michael Jordan. And so the the same idea uh, that goes for for me um, goes for Joel, right? Joel's father most likely was a man of note. But what is greater here is that the word of the Lord came to Joel. What makes this claim incredible is that when you put this claim on a passage that you wrote... You were inviting death to your door if you got it wrong. For claiming to be a prophet, for claiming to speak for God, if you spoke wrong, you were proved to be a liar and you were to to be put to death. And the reason for this was that, that misspeaking and saying, thus saith the Lord, is soul murder. Because misspeaking God's word can lead to people going to hell. So it's very important that we speak it clearly and speak it true. Joel is not making a claim that he came up with an idea. There's a there's a big difference between preaching and speaking. I speak a lot. I I speak to groups. I, I have these times where I speak, but there's something different about preaching because when you preach, you're expounding upon. The thus saith the Lord things in the Bible. And Joel is not making a claim on his own judgment, nor on his own authority. He is claiming to speak for the Lord, a divine edict, divine doctrines. And what is more incredible is that God, God could speak to us all, right? I would much prefer today if Jesus showed up, boom. If he shows up right now, I'm sitting down, Right? I'm not going to be like, oh, Jesus, I'm in the middle of something here. Can you go sit and and listen to me? What am I going to do? I'm going to be like, we're we're all going to be on our faces. But I'm going to say, hey, I want to hear this guy preach. I I want to hear Christ preach. And God could do that. But what he decides instead is he decides to put his precious immortal word in jars of clay. Right? He takes his perfect... Beautiful word. And as as 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he puts it in jars of clay. And so like Jonah, like Amos, like David, like Peter, like, like Paul, like all the ministers of the gospel, Joel is presenting the message of Christ and he does so at great peril. And so, Joel preaches the word. And what is the word? Well, I have a friend who always says that the good news can only be good if the bad news is really bad, right? Right? You, you, you sometimes you bury the lead, you know. I was in a car accident, and I'm okay, but the guy that hit me owns a dealership, and he's giving us a brand new car, right? You you bury the you bury the lead sometimes, and and the gospel is good, but sometimes the only way we can understand how good it is. If we understand how bad the curse is. And so the bad news first. Verse 2. Hear this, you elders. The first call is to the, the presbyters. Now this, this could be the, the old people in the church. Or it could be the leaders of the church. The church did have a, a, a office of elder at this time. Because um, they had it since the days of a guy named Moses. Um, And so I I believe it's Hear this Leaders of the church Give ear all the inhabitants of the land So the leaders are called to the sacred word But then the people are also called For God often punishes men COVID is a curse Did it start in a lab or did it start in a cave Probably both, right? Right? They found it in a cave and then they monkeyed with it, right? And then, then if that's true, if if the if the Wuhan lab, which we're starting to get traction on, maybe this was this was a created virus, then we go to who's to blame, right? Well, did the Chinese release it intentionally? If that's true, which we don't know, did they release it intentionally or did Did they release it accidentally? Whose fault is it then? Right? Then we also know that America gave a huge pile of money to the Wuhan lab to do this work because we weren't allowed to do it in America. We weren't allowed to do gain of function. Um, There's some problems. So, So America being a righteous nation gave a big pile of money to a lab because we're not allowed to do stuff here so we gave it to a Chinese lab to do so who's to blame I am I'm to blame here you elders here all the inhabitants of the land a curse has come upon you It doesn't matter what men intended. It matters what God intended. For God intended for that virus to sweep across the nations. And that's to get our attention. And so if it is to get our attention, then we should look upward. We should look to the Lord. And so Joel says to everyone, plagues, trials, tribulations, they are all from the Lord. They are discipline of the Lord. And what should you do? We, well, let's think about it. Has anything happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? When, when this, this plague swept across the nation, what did everybody start talking about? What happened 100 years ago in America? The Spanish flu, right? Now, how many of you knew about the Spanish flu before COVID hit? Just raise your hand. So it's like three or four of you, Right. But how many, about, how many of you know about it now? Everybody knows about it now, right? Because all of a sudden, we're starting to make comparisons, right? Um, you know, and it's a slightly disappointing that 100 years ago, they, they were using masks and distancing to solve the problem. I thought technology would advance by now, right? Um, they, they haven't done much in 100 years on, on uh, plagues. But we, we have forgotten about the Spanish flu. we would forgotten about how bad it was. But in the Spanish flu, they were talking about something that happened, you know, 100 or 200 years ago. To remind them of the hard days. We forget. We forget about the plagues that harm mankind. And, and so it's no surprise that 100 years later, we have another plague. And so we should remember the, the fact that something like this hasn't happened in decades. And then verse 3, we should tell your children about it. We should tell our children's children about it. And they should tell their children about it. You should tell your kids about COVID. But only if you're going to tell them where to go to get fixed. And the lessons, the, the lesson that they were to tell, the, the thing that they were to talk about was verse 4. And this sounds... This sounds like a comic strip, doesn't it? This sounds like a comic strip. There, there's, a, there's an old uh, adage, you know, we had a, a roach problem, so we, we brought in rats, and we had a rat problem, so we brought in cats. We had a cat problem, so we brought in alligators, right? You know, just, there's just this huge problem, and it just keeps getting bigger. And so uh, what the cutting locust, I thought there was only one kind of locust. But clearly, there's a whole bunch. And who created those locusts? The Lord did, right? And so the cutting locusts, they left some stuff. Well, thank goodness the cutting locusts are through. They le- Oh, wait, the swarming locusts are coming. And they're eating a bunch of stuff. Oh, the swarming locusts are gone. We're saved. And then the hopping locusts ate what was left. And then after the hopping locusts, maybe there's just a little bit left. Then the destroying locusts came and ate the rest of it. This plague was just wave after wave of different kinds of locusts. They devoured everything. There was no chance to even breathe. COVID has cursed our land. And are we done yet? Are we done with it? Or is there something coming behind it? Is there something behind it that's coming now? China's speaking of war. Russia's speaking of war. What's coming behind it? It feels like America is a cursed land, does it not? And the days that America did well were days that the church rose up and spoke into the dark culture. The church has not done this in a long time. So what should the church in America do? Verse 5, awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. It's time for the church to wake up. It's time for us to weep and wail at the sin that we see around us. The, the plagues, not only that plague out there, but plague our own souls. that plague our own houses. Because it's so easy to become spiritually drunk. I, I talked to a, a, a deacon of a church this week. A deacon of a church. And I, and I asked him, you know, if he thought he was going to heaven and, and he said, Well, I, I believe in God and I call him Jesus, my heart broke. He's a leader of a church. And he, he has no grasp of of the importance of of Christ and the centrality of Christ. And and I my heart breaks for him because he is drunk on the spirituality of being a deacon, but not on Christ. He needs to wake up, but, but so do I. And so do you. Verse 6, For a nation has come up against my land. Powerful. And it, here Jesus speaks of my land. A nation has come up against my land. And there's hope. This world is the Lord's, and all that is in it belongs to God. And so this plague has come against God's land. Not that America is uniquely God's land, but the whole world belongs to the Lord. A nation has come up against my land, and and, and they have teeth like lions and fangs like lionesses. It has laid waste my, my vine and splintered my fig tree, stripped off the bark, their branches are white. But the locusts did not get the invading armies destroyed. And so in this hard place, what would a father say to a son? What would a father say to a daughter? What would Christ say to his bride? Well, you brought this on yourself too bad, right? Is that what God would say to us? It's sometimes what fathers say to their sons, but it's not what we should, men. If we raise our boys right, if we raise, and I say boys because there's like mainly boys in this room. But if if the few of you ladies are raised right, if the if the boys in this room are raised right, there's two responses. Oh, no, I did something wrong. I hope dad doesn't find out. Oh, no, I did something wrong. I better go see dad. Now, which one do you think Joel is going to say? Which one? The locusts have come. The armies are infiltrating my land. And you're on your own. Is that what God is going to say to this people? Verse 8. And this is the first step in dealing with plagues and plague recovery. Verse 8. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. In Tuscumbia, at the Tuscumbia PCA Church in Alabama, there's a bell in the tower. It was bought about 100 years ago. And I can't recall why. It might have been the Spanish flu, but I think there was dysentery that had swept through the, the area in North Alabama. A young man was engaged to be married with the love to the love of his life. And she got sick and died. And he took all the money that he had set aside to start their life together, and he bought the bell. He bought the bell for the church and and he had it put in the church so that every day it would ring he would remember the loss of his life. That, that is some serious lamenting, isn't it? In Elmwood Cemetery they they buried a bride in her wedding dress because she died the day before her wedding. And I, I can't remember exactly what the stone said. So I tried to find it, but the stone... And it was a pastor's, it was a pastor's daughter, and it was a Presbyterian pastor's daughter. And the stone says, if I'm getting the story right, the stone says something to the effect of, "Here lies adorned as a bride awaiting the groom." Oh, it just makes your heart sink, doesn't it? The plagues that have rocked this world. It makes you feel like a bride on the day of her wedding, burying her fiancé, all the promises, the plans, and the joys. Is that not the picture of the greatest suffering there is? And what God says in that moment, He says, church, lament like your husband has died. Now, will the church ever know what that feels like? Will the church ever know the experience of, of being a bride and her husband dying? Is that not exactly what happened? Is that not what exactly, exactly what happened to you as you were growing up and you learned for the first time? Do you remember the first time you learned that Jesus was killed? You were sitting in Sunday school. You were sitting in church. And someone said, and then Jesus died and you were coloring. or What? What? He died? I can't tell you how many times I've told a a child who was outside the church that Jesus died, that Jesus is God, that Jesus lived a perfect life to pay the penalty for sin and Jesus died on a cross. And I have to quickly say, it's okay. He came back to life. The church spent three days as a, as a virgin in sackcloth because her bridegroom was dead. The grain offering, the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests and the ministers of the Lord are cut off. The plague was so bad that the worship of God ended for a time. Can you imagine can you imagine going through a plague that was so bad that the worship of God ends for a time? Anybody ever go through that? In fact, there's a, a big conundrum going on in our world. The, the ARP has a Presbyterian Canada. We've got, we've got a dozen or so churches up there. And that presbytery is going through a great struggle. Do we follow Romans 13 and obey the civil magistrate? Or do we follow Acts 5? And it is better to to obey God than obey men. See the tension? And and which one do we do? And there's great debates. And and what do we do about this? And elders and ministers, we ourselves walked a tightrope, did we not? Elders of Roanne, did we not walk a tightrope? Okay, we're going to do the 15 days to blow out in the curve. We're going to shut down. And it was so hard. And every Sunday, we struggled. Every Sunday, we we put it online, and, and, and Gavin and I would get done, and it felt weird, and it felt goofy, and preaching to an empty room. And it was hard. And what God tells us is that part of the discipline of the lord that was poured upon the the church in the old testament in the days of joel was worship was curtailed it was ended for a time covid ended worship in america for a time and in fact canada you still can't get back together to worship so what do we do what do we do worship stopped Churches were forced to shut down. Pastors are going to jail, those that are meeting. Property is being forfeited. There are churches that that the civil magistrate has put fences around, and they've confiscated the church property because the pastor wants to meet. Now, how much of that has more to do with the leadership's personality, right? Right? The, those pastors, just to be frank, those pastors that are rebellious that by nature, that that love a good fight, they're going to lean towards Acts 5, right? Those that are more compliant, they're going to lean towards Romans 13. And both of them are going to say, I'm right in my own mind. Both of them are going to be convinced. So what do we do? I don't have an answer. I was asked the other day, what would I do if... If the American church, I have friends in Canada, and, and what would I do if the American church had was still shut down? The civil magistrate at the point of the gun said, Rowan, you can't meet. And what I said was I would go to Presbyterian and we'd fight it out. And whatever we decided, that's what I would do. I would go to my, my authority in the church and we would make a decision. And then I would live with the consequences either way. I'd probably begin my prison ministry. Mm -hmm. Right? You guys would have to put money in my commissary. Um, These people, the fields are destroyed, verse 10. They mourn. The grain is gone. The wine is gone. Everything's bad. The the tillers of the field, the vine dressers, verse 11, are ashamed. They failed to to feed the people. Can you imagine being a, a vine dresser or a... A plowman in those days, and people coming to you and saying, "I'm so hungry," and you turning around and your field is just gone, just devastated, and the shame you'd feel that you couldn't help them. The vine dries up. Verse 12: the fig languishes, the the pomegranate, palm, apple, all the things are gone. They're gone. Boy, this is a cheery Father's Day theme, isn't it? It is. It is. And so here's where we're going to close. Here's, kids, here's your Father's Day sermon. You want a Father's Day sermon? Everybody want a Father's Day sermon? Shake your head yes. You want a Father's Day sermon? Kids, why do dads bring suffering into your life? Is it because they're mean? Or is it because suffering gets your attention? Right? Suffering gets your attention. And and so is it because dads love to make you suffer? Is there any dad in here that loves to spank their kids? It's like, I hope they do something bad. I would love to get home and have my wife say, oh, my goodness, you're taking care of this problem. That's a dad. Who loves that? Who loves getting that call from your wife? Honey, come home and beat the children. Beat them long. Beat them hard. Beat them because they are driving me crazy. No dad likes that call. Do you think dads like taking your toys, kids? Grounding you? He hates it. I think mom likes doing that. Do do you think dads like taking something that that you want to do away from you? Do you think dads like making you do something that you don't want to do? I have made a mistake many times. I've mentioned my painful childhood in Brussels sprouts. I want to make it clear today. We need to make. I need to make this. I need to clear up my my fault. My childhood, when Brussels sprouts were served, they were boiled Brussels sprouts, unseasoned. Bro- yes, yes. I I'm telling you. I really. You guys should take up a collection for me to go to therapy. My my mother in the 70s did not know that you could actually put olive oil on them and some spices and put them in the oven and that they were the most incredible things ever, right? Yes, right? The first time somebody said, hey, let's make some Brussels sprouts. I was at a friend's house. We were hanging out. He goes, oh, my goodness, let me make some tuna and Brussels sprouts. And I was like, oh, great. You know, I'm going to have to do some missionary eating. You know what missionary eating is? You don't look down. You just, right? You try to drink a lot. You have a good drink on your hand so you can wash it down. And then he brought out this, these Brussels sprouts and put them on my plate. And when they put them on there, they crackled when they hit each other. And and they were just so crispy and they oh my goodness, I need some Brussels. Can we get some Brussels sprouts? They were so good. Okay. My father he must have hated me with those Brussels sprouts. But fathers that love their children discipline them. And sometimes it's just that they need to eat Brussels sprouts because that's good for them. And sometimes it's, it's that they need to spank them because they need to get their attention. And sometimes they need to take something away so they can have their attention. And sometimes they, they need to ground them so they can get them dialed in to what they need to be doing in their life. The children of men are people of rebellion we are disobedient by our very nature we don't know what they did to get God's wrath kindled and his discipline provoked but it doesn't matter what matters is the Lord brought locusts he brought enemies was this to harm them or was this to get their attention What harm can God bring to you that he can't solve later? If the Lord was to discipline you by taking your life, and he has done that, in the history of the church, he has struck men and women down for lying to him, for failing, for touching things they weren't supposed to touch. He has killed them as an act of discipline. But what is that to a God who can bring people back to life? nothing he has not done you harm he is not a vindictive abusive father that's boiling brussels sprouts he is simply getting his children's attention does he have it yet does he have your attention yet with COVID does he have your attention because that's what he wants and then we're going to move quickly spoiler alert verse 15 The day of the Lord is near. Trials and tribulations of your life are brought to get your eyes set upon Christ to save you from the greater curse of unbelief. God is bringing you back into obedience. So the first step of plague recovery is lamenting to the God of heaven and earth who saves. So hear this, you elders. Give ear all you inhabitants of Kershaw County. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your father as COVID? Tell your children of it. Tell your children's children of it and have their children be told of this. Because what COVID has done is turned your eyes towards the Lord that you would long that He would draw near. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, help us. Help us to be a people of obedience. Of faith, help us to know that that yes, you will chase us, but it's not to harm us; it is to keep us away from the wolves and away from the road. Lord, allow your discipline to cause us to believe on the Lord that we would be saved. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.